Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octanon Verba, we hear part two of my interview with martial artist, personal defense, and fear management expert, Tony Blauer. In part one, Tony talked about how fear plays an integral part in most of our actions and reactions every day. You can find part one of my interview in episode 13 of Octanon Verba. In part two, we will continue the discussion of the effects of fear. We also talk about overcoming adversity and how to practice being more courageous in all areas of life. Tony also opens up candidly about his friendship with Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee, and his interaction with one of the greatest boxers of all time, Sugar Ray Leonard. You can find out more about Tony Blauer and his training at blauertrainingsystems.com. Now, here's part two of my interview with Tony Blauer. Please enjoy. I wanted to share this about adversity. And I love this with your program, your people, is to let people know and remind them. In the same way I can say when someone goes, well, yeah, yeah, I want to be able to be courageous. Or how many you practice courage every day? And it's not like, jump off a building, do something that scares you. We've all seen those memes. It's not, here's the neat thing. It's just so, it's so subtle, but so heavy. I'm going to go skydiving. I'm afraid of heights. You're going to be emotionally, psychologically high for several days. I've skydived. I'm afraid of heights. You're like buzzing for a week. But it doesn't mean if one of your big issues in life is public speaking or saying I love you or saying I'm sorry to a spouse, working on relationships, skydiving is not going to fucking help. So these big metaphors like, and I'm not knocking Anthony Robbins stuff, like a firewalk, like skydiving, like swimming with sharks, they don't transfer the experience to everyday programmed habits that are the result of decades of your personal evolution, your DNA evolution and your personal evolution, right? And so why I wanted to interrupt again, because one of your listeners, hopefully everyone listening to this is already part of your audience in the same way you can practice courage. And the only way you practice courage, this is the true way is when a stimulus truly appears in your life and you get a fear spike and you have a moment of going, I'm going to pretend that this stimulus doesn't exist. Now I'm shirking my responsibility to evolve, to self-actualize. I get a fear spike. Oh my God, what is this? You know, it might be an issue you have with your mother or father. They call you and now suddenly you're seven years old again. That's a moment of valuable introspection. And then going, what do I need to do to feel different? What do I need to do to learn here? That's the practicing courage. And it's not a light switch. It's not like, oh, I've overcome my relationship with my stepfather. Or, you know, how many people are afraid to quit their job that they hate to become entrepreneurs? Well, guess what? Every fucking one of you was... You were afraid before you embarked on on doing this. Yeah. Everyone who worked for somebody else. And then the hardest thing I ever did was closing my martial arts school. It was all I ever wanted to do. Took me probably 18 months. 
I've been teaching since 1977. I closed it in 1993 to pursue teaching seminars around the world. It was the hardest thing I ever did. It was the best thing I ever did. But I wasn't like, I'm afraid to close my school. It was like, what if this doesn't work out? What if this is the wrong move? What if people don't really care? What if I'm marginally successful? I mean, I've got to make this much money to cover this much overhead to, if I close, all of those are fear-based thoughts. They're all me visualizing an event in the future. Now, what's this got to do with adversity? My interruption. Everyone listening who, who follows Marcus's message and everything, you don't practice adversity by waiting for some stimulus that puts you in a adverse position and go, I'm going to embrace it. Fuck it. That's a choiceless choice. Right. If you don't run away from it, but you can practice adversity because adversity and fear are fucking dance partners. Absolutely. You know? And so you get a fear spike. Like if you don't, like I said earlier, remember the joke I made is like, I don't want to learn how to skydive from somebody who has a death wish and is a adrenaline junkie or just an adrenaline junkie. They may be really good, but I want to sky learn to skydive from a 55 year old jump master, not a 24 year old Red Bull, you know, uh, uh, sponsored freak, a unicorn. Absolutely. Let's go, let's go, let's go, everybody, come on. Uh, like, no, 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 no. Let's slow down, man. Why is that old guy still alive here? Oh, he's been teaching skydiving for, right? That's it. So again, I'm, I'm, I'm amplifying things, but, but anyone who listens to your message, because I think some people think, and it's the same way I, I teach the no fear and the practice courage and the self-defense. It's got to be proactive. You don't want to go, oh, good, I have to shoot event. Now I can find out if that thing I invested in works. No, the foundation of everything we do is based on the mantra, choose safety. What is the safest thing you could do today? And sometimes the safest thing you could do is choosing adversity. That's Something, sometimes the safest thing you could do to become the best version of yourself is to go into that fear, not because you're going, oh, I saw a meme that says do something that scares you every day. I don't subscribe to that. I think it's okay. But at the end of the day, it's, this is so deep and heavy. Unconsciously, if I said to you, Marcus, I need you to get into 10 more street fights before you can get to the next level in my system. And you went, well, I really want to get to the next level. But well, guess what? Everyone listen to this carefully. If I told you to truly understand fear management self-defense, you have to have at least 10 real street fights. Go out to a shitty part of town and get into a street fight. Guess what your unconscious brain is going to do in its selection process? Just like any predator, you're going to select prey. You're going to select somebody you think you can beat. You're, Maslow's heart of needs, tier one survival will never, you know, the duck is never going to go, I'm fucking hungry. Oh, is that a fucking lion over there? I'm going to go fucking start a fight with that fucking coyote. So I tell people like, you know, I've had people go, hey, have you heard about this guy? He says, his black belt dad says he's had 600 street fights. I go, dude. That's like taking driving lessons from a driving instructor who says, I've been in 600 car accidents. <laughs> what the fuck is a street fight got to do with self-defense? One is avoiding violence. One is a street fight. It's violence. And so it's an interesting thing. If I said to you, go get 10 fights, you would pick 10 people that you could beat, even if that was at a non-conscious selection level. Yep, subconsciously. And so if you have a program that says, hey, Adversity is a gift, man. If you want to develop the resilience 
you need to seek adversity. And you don't do that by selecting the adversity you want. You do that by going, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this. And then going, okay, is this really something I don't have to do? Or is this something that if I do this, it's going to create a level of resiliency that means my ability to manage fear, my ability, ability to have courage on demand has been compounded, like compound interest. I'm now better at this. So that you think about, let's say uh, we're firefighters and you've been on the job for 10 years and it's my first day and the fucking alarm goes, I'm like doing this fucking, and you're like, hey kid, conserve your energy. Yeah, We're going to get to the fire at the same time. Right. I don't want you out of breath when we get there. Right. What starts to happen is the stimulus is the same. Our physiological adaptation is different. And as we get more reps in it. So when you practice going, accepting adversity, accepting fear and making those next smart choices, it's your first fight versus your 10th fight, your 10th fight versus your 20th fight. Right. Your body gets acclimated. And the big the big reframe here is it doesn't change the danger. You're still in a fight. Right. But now you have much more uh, greater potential to find that proverbial flow state and because you're just accepting what's happening and now you're going okay let's go that's it there's no judgment there's no emotion attached to it we just go with it and earlier we were talking before we hit record you were friends with a martial arts legend well you are friends with many martial arts legends but the one i'm talking about specifically is one that you met in california and uh, he's no longer with us can you talk a little bit about how you met brandon lee sure Obviously, he had a lot of respect for you, clearly. And can you kind of offer us an insight into the way that he looked at some of these things, whether it be fear or legacy or any of those kind of things? Yeah. So I met him, crazy story. I, in the 80s, was doing stunt work in Montreal. Montreal is kind of like mini New York for film. Mm-hmm. I was doing stunt work. Actually got to meet Pat Johnson. Wow. He was a stunt coordinator on, on a movie. Funny, funny story in that work. The actor was so horrible. It was a lower budget TV movie. And he had to sucker punch me at one point. And uh, he was horrible. So the director kept going, that doesn't look real, stop. So I said, hey, give me 15 minutes. And I took him offside. And I showed him how to punch and sell the punch. And then we finally come back, ready, rolling. And he's so nervous, the actor. He miscues and he fucking hits me right in the face. But, you know, <laughs> look real. it was like 1986, 87. I've been fighting... But I've been doing martial arts since 1973. I've been teaching since 77. It was an actor who just learned how to punch, punch me in the face, barefoot. Wasn't a big deal. Didn't fucking hurt at all. It was a shitty punch. But it was a real punch. And the angle was, right, you know, hook punch. And my back was, I was opening the door, clink, I got hit. Wow. And it was like literally, you know. Perfect. And the director goes, cut. That didn't look real. And I'm like, <laughs> you uh, me, I'm bleeding. Jay. No, actually, he punched me in the face that time, dude. Anyways, so uh, nothing to do with Brandon. Just reminded me of uh, what. So this is why, why I met Brandon is because I started doing uh, stunt work, had some lines here and there, and I was like, "Wow, I wonder if I could go into movies." You know, like, but I didn't know anything about acting and know anything. So I was in a, um, a bookstore in Montreal, and I found this book called Irreverent Acting yellow cover by this guy named Eric Morris. And he had a studio out in LA. I'm reading the book. I love the name, Irreverent. I love the word Irreverent. So, you know, there's all these books on on acting. The actor studio, being an actor, acting now. 
and in this book of the Reverend Ackley. So I grabbed it and I was going to LA a month later for an interview with like Black Belt Magazine or something. So I went, I'm going to take an acting class, see what it's like. So I call up the guy. This, this is 1985. And uh, I call up, I go, hey, uh, my name's Tony Blower. Um, I got your book of Reverend Acting. He goes, how did you get it? I go, I bought it at a bookstore. He says, well, it's not out yet. I go, what do you mean it's not? I'm holding it. He says, well, it's not supposed to be out. That's weird. I go, well, there's a copy in Canada and I'm looking at it. He goes, that's so bizarre because it was not supposed to ship yet. And I was, there were a couple of changes we wanted to make it in, whatever. But okay, you got it. He goes, like, what, what's that? I go, I'm a martial artist. I do stunt work. And, you know, sometimes they want me to speak parts. I don't know what I'm doing. And I hate not knowing what I'm doing. So I'd like to take a lesson. He says, he says, that's interesting. He says, you know, it's so funny. He says, I'm working with Chuck Norris right now. And remember Jim Cata? Mm -hmm. the, the movie with, um, I forget the guy who won the gold in gymnastics. He says, I'm his coach. And uh, he says, what's with all you martial arts guys calling me? Because I've got Brandon Lee in my class. Wow. And I freaked. Like, I didn't say anything on the phone. I was like, but I was like, because, you know, you thought you were Bruce Lee's biggest fan and I was, right? So I hate to break it. <laughs> but everyone, everyone thinks they're Bruce Lee's biggest fan, right? Because he's, he's, if he touched you, it was like a, that spiritual guy. So uh, I said, you like, Let's Brandon does private work with you. He's in the group class. He goes, no, he does the group class. And I'm like, holy fuck. My heart starts pounding. I'm like, oh my God, like if I could just meet Brandon. So I booked the private lesson. I get in there. He actually doesn't want, he says, you want, he says, don't do the private, come to the group class. You're in town for a week. Come to the group class, do the group class. It's like 50 bucks instead of 250 bucks, whatever it was. He says, do that. I think you'll get a lot of value out of that. And then if you want, so he's really cool. So I'm there, I get there. And of course, I'm breaking out thinking I'm going to maybe meet Brandon, right? And what am I going to say? This is Bruce Lee's son. Holy shit. So I get there and the, the, it's a small, small like theater space, classic. Like, the movies, like some shithole, you know, with some old, old theater seats. And all the seats are taken. And uh, there's a couple of you sitting on the wall. Class is packed. So I sit down on the wall, against the wall. And people are doing monologues. They start doing monologues. Brandon's still not there. Okay, whatever. I came here for a purpose. I was calling the guy anyhow. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Just pretend you don't know. So I get back into this. I'm watching this. And all of a sudden, I cover my eyes. I see Brandon walks in. Says hi to a couple of people. He's quiet because there's a monologue going on. And sure enough, there's a fucking space beside me. He comes down. He sits beside me. And I'm like, fuck, no way. Okay, thank you, universe. Thank you. And uh, this guy is on stage. And he starts doing this heavy monologue. And it's a very violent, aggressive one. And all of a sudden, like he's moving around and he bends over and he starts, he's yelling about fucking killing somebody and this and that. And all of a sudden, he has a knife in his hand, which nobody noticed. He had had a, a folder in his oh, wow. pants and it was supposed to be a prop, but he was like really into this scene. But all of a sudden, it'd be like, if I'm here like this and I go, I don't mind, I'm fucking, and I don't mind, I'm like, and all of a sudden, this knife is out like this. Well, if this wasn't on Zoom, you might have gone, whoa, where did that come from? And leaned away from it, right? Of course. And I'm sitting on the floor, and he stands up, and he's pacing with this knife. And I'm scanning the room. Immediately, I went knife. And everyone's, like, leaning in, going, oh, this is a good monologue. And I sit there like this, and I immediately kind of shifted my stance a little bit, and I brought my hands into this position here. And as I did that, 
I noticed Brandon doing the exact same thing. And then Brandon noticed that I was already in position. Yep. And we kind of like looked at each other and then looked back and then they dissipated and everything. And we didn't say anything about it because there were a few more monologues. And then afterwards, this old studio was, I don't know if you've ever been, uh, there's an old famous deli in West Hollywood called Cantor's. All the actors used to go there, very famous. And so we leave the class and Brandon says to me, hey, we're all going, a bunch of us are going to Cantor's, you want to join us? And I was like, sure. And we're walking. Not a lot of people know this story, man. I don't know that I've ever talked about this on a podcast. Wow. We're walking side by side and I'm thinking, okay, how do you break the ice? How do you start a conversation? And I'm sort of beside him. We're walking and I go, uh, you know, I got to say, huge, huge fan of your dad's. And he looks at me, but he looks at me like, what did you say? You know, it's kind of like that, you know, like, what's that smell? Mm. And this is just coming out of my mouth. Like, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm like nervous right. as shit. Yeah. I got a big fan of your dad's. I mean, he, a lot of who I am and what I do now was inspired by him. And I just, I wanted you to know that. And he's, we're walking like this man, towards the place. And we're walking and he just fucking stops like this. Like people are still walking. And I stop because he stops. And he goes, oh, you're a big fan of my dad's? Yeah. You know, everyone's a big fan of my dad's. Everyone said, uh, no one wants to ever meet me because I'm branded. They want to meet me because I'm Bruce Lee's son. And he tears into me. And uh, I'm like looking at him going, fuck. Could I have picked, like if someone said, what is the worst thing you could say to Brandon Lee right now? This would have been it at that time in his life. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Right. He was trying to make it in movies. Yeah. He was trying to, but all the doors were opening because he was Bruce Lee's son, not because he was Brandon Lee. Right. You described him as a martial arts legend. Is he? Now, I don't want to get hit by any lightning and I don't want to have like people coming after me to kill me. Bruce Lee was a martial art legend. Was Brandon? Brandon was a really good martial artist. He was a fighter, but if he wasn't Bruce Lee's son, would people go, and I say this without due respect to what who became a good friend. This is the way our minds work. I looked at him, so he finished talking. I didn't interrupt. He said, I'm sick and tired of people opening doors for me or giving me opportunities, not because I have any talent or anything to add, because of my last name. And he's just glaring at me. And I went, uh, and I was standing, we we're standing on the sidewalk. I was standing on one of the, like right on the crack of the sidewalk. And I said, Hey, would you help me out? And he goes, Help you out of what? I said, I feel so small right now. I'm stuck inside this crack on the sidewalk. And he laughed. And I said, Man, I fucking, that had never even occurred to me. I fucking apologize. And he's kind of like hit me in the shoulder and he said, Let's go get something to eat. And we went. And we didn't talk at all. And then after he invited me at an apartment up off of Melrose, we went there. We got drunk. We played ping pong. Uh, he had a ping pong deal. He was fucking amazing ping pong. And it just like that moment passed. And then it became, we just connected. We talked quite a bit. He had, uh, what movie did he do before Legacy of Rage? Was I forget the order. I remember him calling me up, asking me, he was training with a martial art. I'm not going to mention his name in case people hear this. And people will be really angry that I said Brandon wasn't a martial art legend. Brandon was really good. But anybody who's pushing the martial art legend is forgetting this story because they don't know the story. Right? 
if you were Bruce Lee's son, you'd be a martial art legend, but nobody knows of you because of your martial art prowess. Exactly. Vicariously, yeah. You know, uh, my son, interestingly enough, I never even realized this, but the first day he, I got a picture of, of Brandon holding Nikki. The first day Nick stood was in Brandon's apartment in Echo Lake. Oh my God. Yeah. So this is a picture online of Nick, who's like 14 months old or whatever, standing in Brandon's apartment. You know, Brandon taught me how to use chopsticks properly. I was on the set of The Crow three weeks before the accident. Mm -hmm. He invited me out to work on Legacy of Rage, some fun stories there. But we became friends. He came to visit me. We're close enough that he flew to Montreal to hang out with me when I lived in Montreal. We went out. I never, ever, ever, ever exploited or mentioned my relationship with him ever. In fact, there was a sushi restaurant called Sushi on Saint But I was friends with the owner. And I used to eat there like, I had a school right near there. I'd, I'd eat there two, three times a week. So you know this, but Brandon had Bruce's genetics. There's a lot of when he would talk, the way he'd make his fist, the way he would, and he would pick like, and we were in there one night consuming far too much sake and having custom made, we closed the place. And at one point, the owner, who's making the sushi for us, says, like, I didn't like leak to the press, hey, Bruce Lee's son will be at my gym on, oh, how did paparazzi get here, right? Because like, <laughs> like that, that one story, that one event in 1985 on the sidewalk was enough to like, fuck, wow. Yeah. And I respected him so much for that. So we're sitting there and the owner looks, he goes, hey, anyone ever tell you you look like Bruce Lee? Literally word for word. And Brandon looks at him and then he looks at me and I go, look at me. And he looks at me, he goes, and I go, maybe a little bit in the eyes, dude. I go, but and, and this guy's oriental too. I go, but you know, they all look the same to me. Like they're all like fucking laughing. And, and because I was friends with that guy, after Brandon left, the next time I was in, I told him, I said, wow. I said, I didn't want any because I didn't want pictures to take people taking pictures, stuff like that. He's like, holy shit. He freaked out. Of course, you know, of course. but it was fun. I remember Brandon, someone broke into his apartment when he's in, he talked about the story, but he called me right after the fight. And he was talking about spear, startle, flinch, the fucking flinch move. And, but he was also really trying to be a great ambassador for Jeet Kune Do and his dad's legacy. He loved JKD and he loved Thai and he loved grappling and he was a really good athlete, but he was more of a fighter than an athlete. Brandon was more dangerous if you got him in a street fight than if you sparred him. Wow. I like many know. people, if they, if they can flip that switch. Right. Um, and one of the guys he was training with, I remember him. So I got, when Brandon realized he could trust me, then I began, when I felt working on some things that, and I've never talked about this to anybody. At one point, we were doing things, working out, and we'd get together, it was like Kato Greenhorn. We'd do ping, ping pong, and then, you know, he'd throw a sidekick at me. I'd fucking, like, we were doing shit like that. And that was like fucking surreal. I was like, hey, you know, Bruce Lee's son is your Cato, like in the Green Hornet. I'm Clouseau. I'm not the Green Hornet. We were fucking around, right? At one point, he says, uh, you know, my dad's sidekick wasn't done properly. I went, excuse me? He goes, yeah. And he mentions his instructor's name. The guy I'm training with now, this is before he went back to Inosato Academy and stuff. He goes, the guy I'm training with now, it said that the way my dad locked his sidekick, he could have generated more power and all that. I go, I go, so 
first of all, as a guy who, who studies kinetic chain and intuitively the yeah, way mechanics. the way I link my body and, and moves, we do in my garage gym that I teach now. And, and it, what's amazing is, you know, I told you earlier that I stopped teaching in 1993 group classes. And so as much as I love traveling the world for like fucking 27 years, I didn't realize until I started the group classes again in March through Zoom, how much a part of my soul that was. That I'm now, I've got 43 years of knowledge and skills at creating drills and presenting material. But all I ever wanted to be was a self-defense instructor when I discovered what it did to me and for me. And so when I taught, when I was teaching from 1977 to 1993, when I closed that, that took a part of my soul. Of course. And, and I rediscovered it again recently. Like I look forward most to in 30 minutes, I'm going to say goodbye because I'm going to start warming up for my class at four. Yeah. And, and because that is the most important part of my day is connecting with people online, even though it's through Zoom. But it's like I'm in front of a group class now trying to inspire people to become safer. Uh, more situationally aware, more effective of being able to protect themselves with their families. And so it's that group dynamic, that live dynamic. Anyways, off on a mini tangent there. So I've been studying what is the, I showed Sugar Ray Leonard in 1980 a different way to throw a jab. He had his entourage around me. We were playing uh, 21 in a private basketball gym in Montreal when he was fighting Duran. Mm -hmm. And all boxers, when they're moving, I don't know if you can see my feet here. I know I'm really far away. But boxers, when the jab will step forward with that lead foot hit and then come in. Uh, sorry, no, that's the way I do. They'll step off the rear foot. Like, so they'll go to close at distance when I'm hitting this ball. They're, they're hitting like this. They're stepping in. And the rear heel raises. Well, for street defense, I developed a protocol of jabbing off the lead foot and rotating the same side in. And Leonard's shadow boxing while we're playing 21. He's fighting Duran in two weeks. And he'd be stopping and shadow boxing and moving. And I'm so used to coaching and teaching and everything. And he does this jab this way. And I say, hey, do you want to see a different way to jab? And I just say it like, like a throwaway. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, sure. And so I'm off on the side. And it's like this surreal moment where I'm, he's 24, I'm 20. We're just two guys talking about wow. movement. Yeah. But I see three of his bodyguards and some of the entourage going, who the fuck is this guy? Showing so how to throw a jab. The Olympic champion who's got beat Benitez and Leonard's there playing with this stuff. And it wasn't me like showing him how to jab. It was, I was explaining to him that when you jab off of your lead foot, your recovery time changes on. And again, I don't know if it's too far for you where I to see, but if you watch my lead foot, if I jab like this and you slip it, I need now need to effectively control this distance too. So I throw that jab at you in a counter and you have to slip it and come across with the, with the right. I got all this, but this heel is up. It changes my immediate mobility. You're familiar with the term. Oh, yeah. Action. Absolutely. So for street, and this is years ago, like now I don't teach people to jab in the street, but I would teach people jab like this, where you plant this foot, rotate this side of your body. So you unload, you unload torque here. Now, if you go, fuck, I missed the guy and he's coming back, I've got the ability to move my feet because that lead heel is planted. So that lead foot is planted. So I'm showing him this 
and he thanks me and everything. We go back and these guys are like sneering like that. Like almost like, it was like, like that was the dumbest shit I ever saw. <laughs> I check this out. And, and if I ever bump into Sugar Ray again, I will, I will have this conversation with him. But he went and he lost a 15-round fight to Duran in Montreal. Classic battle. And then six months later, he took the, the famous Nomas fight in New Orleans. Nomas, yeah. And if you watch that fight, you'll see Sugar Ray Leonard jabbing with his lead heel up, which he didn't do in the first fight. Wow. And I, people going, what an asshole Blauer is. He's saying, I, I didn't do anything except suggest that your ability to move away from somebody is enhanced if your lead heel is raised. Sugar Ray Leonard's an athletic genius, right? He did stuff in the ring that Bruce Lee only wrote about. And that's another story. I mean, I hung out with Leonard when he came back. I went down to Chinatown. I came back. After getting back, I helped build the original World of Bruce Lee Museum uh, in 1980. Wow. And when Leonard came back for a tax meeting from the first fight, because it was only six months after that he fought in New Orleans, he came back into town. I sent a message to his, his lawyer saying, hey, you know, any chance he wants to get together? And I'm like thinking, what are the odds, you know? Because I'd met him like six months earlier. I helped out, found him a location to train privately. And... uh I got a message back. You know, Ray says, come over to the hotel and told me the secret location. I go there. And I brought my world of Bruce Lee, my pictures from California. And I don't know if it's, they said it was the real game of death suit, but who knows if it was. One night, I had keys to the place I'm building it. I put on Bruce Lee's tracksuit and fucking worked out in it. <laughs> wow. Don't tell anyone that. If it's real <laughs> no. this is like, we're just on a live podcast, but right. like I'm going at Brandon's apartment. Brandon had a lot of his dad's books. And he had all these books, man, all, these with all his notes in there. And, you know, Bruce Lee had very specific handwriting. You've got yeah, Dao Jikudo, right? And I'm like, Brandon's got all these cool books there, and I love reading. So I'm there, Nick's playing on the floor, you know, he's 18 months, Brandon's making some food. I pull out a book, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm going fucking close the book. I'm like, Holy shit, these are Bruce Lee's books with his actual writing. Wow. I actually said to Brian, I said, hey, can I borrow a couple of these books? He looks at me, goes, he goes, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll, for sure, I'll bring them back to you. <laughs> no, no, you can't borrow those books, Tony. No, no chance. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I got so many random stories, man. But I started telling, I started telling you this, this one of his instructors saying is that, then he comes right and he says, my dad's sidekick wasn't that good. This is good, but it wasn't. I go, I go, time. I go, listen, I don't care who you're training with. Like, there's a way that the body ex extends. There's a way, there's a kinetic chain. The way your dad linked up his shoulder, hip, and ankle, that sidekick angle, which I studied intently, your dad's sidekick was amazing. Could he have created a more powerful angle? If you watch some of the video that emerged of Bruce Lee, like trying to crush a heavy bag, you see his hands and body are way off position. I go, don't confuse his movie kick with how he would try to put you through a wall, you know? So Brandon, a lot of people tried to influence Brandon thinking, whether this was conscious or unconscious, I'm trying to find the, the, the picture of the, of the angle of the kick. Because there were things I aspired to do. I don't know if it's filming. So there it is. Like, that's me. There it is. So but what's interesting about that is my whole body, I don't know if you remember the post, my whole body went into fucking spasm after that because I had hiked six hours. I was dehydrated. The sun setting, and I don't know if you can see in the in the in the picture there. My hair is blowing way back. This is above the tree line. The wind is howling. I'm wearing hiking boots, 
And I, lo- I locked that kick out there. And Dan, one of my students, takes the picture. He snaps a bunch. It's 35 millimeter film. So you can't look at it. There's no, it's, this is back in, the, that's back in the 80s. Yeah, you have no He takes a bunch of pictures. And also, I'm like, ah, and I'm on the ground going, oh, my, like my lat and my hamstring, <laughs> my quad, everything just spasm from the hike. But when I blast a side kick and I'm trying to crush somebody, so you can see, like in this one, where I'm, I'm drilling a bag here. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly, of course, I'm wearing jeans in that, but it doesn't have the same form. So I, I'd explain yeah. to Brandon, don't. And years later, years, years later, we're in Hong Kong. And I told him, I say, listen, man, you got to work your craft. You want to be a great actor. You want to be a great martial artist. You want to do that stuff. And I said to him, use your name. I said, your father. I said, if somebody said, who's the most famous man in the world? You can only pick three. Most of the world would pick Jesus, Ali, and Bruce Lee. That's what I told Brent. Your dad is one of the three most icons. Why wouldn't you use that? You either have talent or you don't. I think you do. You got drive. You got killer instinct. You got a fucking look, right? Use that, man. Don't. I have goosebumps now remembering that story. But I'm like sitting in Hong Kong telling him, I said, if Bruce Lee is my father, I'd open every fucking door. Because the only way you're going to get good at being an actor is by acting. Fucking get the reps in, man. Yeah, reps. Get the reps. And if you hadn't given him that talking to, maybe The Crow never would have happened. And that's why he loved The Crow so much, because it was such a departure from everything else. Uh, who, who knows? I, like, I'm not going to imply, you know, I might have been one of 10 people saying that to him at all times, yeah. right? I had a long-distance relationship with him. I was just interviewed for a documentary they're doing on him. I hope he gets funding, gets released. Oh, wow. It was uh, crazy. How many years ago? It was 1986. That was when um, I was in Hong Kong doing uh, Legacy of Rage with him. But the reason I, I say when was that, you know, that was like over 30 years ago, is this documentary was being done at Eric Morris's new studio. He's still alive. He's old, old, old actor. He's got a bunch of books. But they used his studio. So it was like this reunion. I went back wow. to where he was. He was Brandon's coach, acting coach, you know. And, and so we we're like, holy shit dude, what are you still doing? And uh, these producers, some photos that had never been released about Brandon that I took on the set of The Crow. I'd never, and that's a, you know, again, it's not pat on the back. I took pictures of Brandon in makeup in the cemetery that three weeks later when the accident happened, you know, I didn't for the longest time develop them. And then when I developed them, I had uh, pictures of him in full makeup going over scenes. He's in makeup. And I had my 35 and I'm shooting pictures and doing some stuff like that. Never released them. It was crazy. Crazy, man. Tony, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Like I said, I could talk to you forever. Thank you for opening up about not only about your journey and the philosophy behind Spear, the philosophy behind Knowing Fear, K-N-O-W, but talking about Brandon, talking about your journey with Brandon and how um, you learn so much from each other in the process of going through that and how the, your legacy is continuing to influence the rest of the world by helping them influence others understanding fear and knowing what's going on where can we find out more about what you're doing where can we learn about your online training you have a lot of things that are going on right now yeah so we just launched a new website called Blauer. my last name b-l-a-u-e-r training systems.com so we've got one more website called Blauer tactical 
but like if you're looking for more mindset shit, like our tactical might you know tactical, you, you know. We used to have like a you know picture of me breaking somebody's ankle in front of a Hummer with a machine gun, like one of the, one of the pictures, because most of my work is with you know SWAT teams and military and stuff like that. And I'd have as the company grew, you know, I'd have like business friends going, Are you sure well, you want people looking at that? I'm like, <laughs> I a cool picture. So we have Blower training systems and then you know, that takes you everywhere. But we've got stuff for no fear. We've got stuff for our garage gym. The garage gym thing, I'm just having so much fun. We've got pilots, doctors, martial artists, military, federal agents, uh, moms. Like, I don't know any, because the, the magic of Zoom, like I said, like, like it looks like I'm doing a private yep. interview. And we're not doing things like, and, and I, I made it very clear. There's no, there's three pieces of equipment. You need a resistance band, a light resistance band, a PVC pipe and a medicine ball, something everyone can get. And I can teach you how to protect yourself with that. It might seem ridiculous, but I tell people, look, if you can take a, a, a first aid medical course in four or six hours and develop life-saving skills, like taking a four or five, six hour course with a firefighter or a paramedic or EMS, and they can teach you life-saving skills, that is the mindset that I bring to these courses. Is what can I teach you? that will buy you time in a confrontation so that you could escape danger. And so for, for people who want more, they want to become trainers or whatever, we've got a much more robust course. You know, to get certified in my system, you've got to do a minimum of three months of my garage gym in the elite program. So that's like doing, you know, that, that's doing four live classes with me a week. They don't have to be live. You can, you can look at them and watch them after your own because we've got people all over, all over the world, different time zones. But you know, it's not like a, like this weekend seminar. It's like you're doing like three months of training minimum plus online digital plus written stuff. And then our online courses, how do you teach this stuff? That's what the online course is. How do you teach it? We come back to 1980 being asked what I want to do. I want to make people safer. I want to make good people safer. Well, I can't do that myself. So I'm looking for, you know, good Samaritans and conscientious professionals who want to learn from the source and share this. And we've literally had little, like we've, we've had school teachers who know the school system isn't going to provide them with anything more than an app, run, hide, fight, you know, uh, and an app. We have had school teachers going, like if something happens, I've got to be able to do something. And I'm like, good for you. They want to have that skill. And that's kind of a, like a philosophical impetus under our be your own bodyguard program at the end of the day even if you have a bodyguard if i take out your bodyguard what are you doing who the fuck's your bodyguard be your own bodyguard do you know how to think about situational awareness do you know how to diffuse and de-escalate confrontations and if push came to shove do you really know how to protect yourself and it's not what most people would think it's not a technical thing it's a blend of primal gross motor movement and indignation that indignation is a magic word, folks. Let me leave you with that. Indignation is a type of anger. Indignation is the anger of how dare you. A different anger than fuck, I'm pissed. How dare you is a superpower. Agreed. Tony Blower, thank you for changing the world. Thank you for scaling courage. Thank you for teaching everyone. I look forward to talking to you soon again, my friend. Thank you, buddy. Anytime. I always love thank it. You, bro. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com. 
join his Okta Nonverba inner circle and get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.